0: Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Some
1: of us take our experience. I mean, I keep telling people that, you know, this is probably not a startup which somebody out of college would have just come up with because it's really a distillation of my experiences together with that of my co-founders.
2: And some of us see the opportunity.
1: My my company believed that uh, it was pointless to go and waste your effort with so many small companies. And then a new startup is born.
2: Today's conversation is with J C. Sakar, the co-founder of the startup AcuZen, a startup that is looking at simplifying training and empowering a dynamic and dispersed workforce. J.C., as he is known, has after a career that spans three decades in the corporate world, decided to take the plunge and become an entrepreneur. This is based on a belief that a career interacting and working closely with customers across different sectors and geographies has enabled him to develop the skills to uncover unstated pain points, to then create and conceptualise solutions and produce new service offerings. So now, without further delay, let's begin. I'm with JC. JC, can you introduce yourself?
1: Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. And uh, Well, my name, as you've heard, is JC. I, I run a small tech startup company in Singapore by the name Akuzin. Uh, as a background, I'm an engineer, an aerospace engineer with about 30 years of experience in all. Uh, It's been a range of industries. I started off with the public sector and then I moved on to working in private companies. I was a consultant for some time and then joined a U.S. multinational with whom I spent a major part of my career and uh, embarked on an entrepreneurial journey about a year and a half ago. Just
2: tell us a bit more about your past. You say you're an entrepreneur. What does that involve?
1: Well, I think it's about trying to distill some of those experiences which you had in your career and trying to see how you can piece them together and make it something which is useful to the rest of the community. That was the whole idea. So in terms of, uh, like I said, I learned, I was fortunate enough to be shuttling between uh, companies and between roles within companies and uh, started off as a manufacturing person. and From manufacturing, moved into the services sector and then Uh, like I said, uh, did multiple roles in multiple geographies. I started my career in India, but then I've worked most of my life in Southeast Asia and uh, the Middle East and other areas. So you learn dealing with different cultures, dealing with different industries, dealing with different businesses. I was very, very fortunate to be traveling a fair bit. And uh, I think uh, I kind of figured out there were many things that, uh, that were working, but there were probably areas in which some of the experiences that I had could probably be pieced together into a solution that might help uh, a larger uh, community. And if I were to go back and uh, tell you the whole genesis of uh, why I started this particular company, I think it goes back to, I mean, always the, the itch has always been there. But I guess uh, what happened was the turning point, of you, if you'd like to call it, would be during a visit to Germany a couple of years ago when uh, I was with... Uh, a Singapore delegation that was attending the World Safety Congress in Germany. This was two years ago. At that point of time, uh, the head of the delegation from Singapore was the Senior Parliamentary Secretary. And I had an opportunity to really chat up with him a fair bit because we were in a kind of a close group. And uh, I was at that time working for a U.S. multinational and I had an opportunity to show off our product portfolio and uh, he gave me a very patient listening for a long time. Then... At the end of this conversation, he said, you know, this is all brilliant. But then what can you do for the small and medium enterprises? Because that's where our real pain points are. Is there something that your company can do for small and medium enterprises that can be an easy to launch thing? You're showing a lot of technology, but can technology be adopted to these small and medium enterprises? Uh, I said, yes, probably yes. And uh, I came back, went to my company, and I said, when do we do something about this? The reception was somewhat... Lukewarm, but in me, but I saw there was an opportunity here to really do something, you know. And it was about, you know, somebody senior so senior telling you about a pain point, and when you think you have a solution, I just put the two and two together and said, let's probably give it a shot. And so that was the whole genesis with which I embarked into this entrepreneurial venture. So
2: why was it lukewarm with the with the company?
1: I think. Uh, I mean, the large companies believe, or rather when I say large companies, my my company believed that uh, it was pointless to go and waste your effort with so many small companies rather than that focus on a couple of large companies with whatever solutions we have today. So there's no point in building solutions for small companies, especially the... Ability to sell to those small companies is somewhat limited. Uh, and So that's that's why I think there was so a reluctance. And I think from a business perspective, maybe that's what it was. it was. It made sense. I would have probably done the same thing if I had been in a decision making pro- pro- uh, process to see does it make sense from a business perspective.
2: Did you leave the company? I did, yes. Didn't <laughs> and you're saying that that's the idea for your entrepreneurial effort. You mentioned that from a business perspective, it was the right decision. Now, if it was the right decision for them, why is it the right decision for you to concentrate on those small companies?
1: I think it was more of a local issue because I was was in Singapore. And Singapore, I think, uh, faces some serious challenges in the years ahead, given the fact that I think we've had a good run with uh, large companies coming into Singapore and uh, probably setting up their headquarters, Asian headquarters here. And I think that story is kind of... uh, Towards the fag end, I would say, because I think Shanghai or Hong Kong or Kuala Lumpur, for that matter, there are many, many cities which can take the same place and do whatever Singapore is doing at probably half the cost. So I guess it's no longer that attractive destination. So I think the real issue is, uh, how do you make Singapore companies better? And if you look at Singapore local companies, I think a majority of them really the small companies. So to me, it was a focused market that mattered. But maybe to my organization, which was a multinational, it was the big world that was available for them. And for them, it probably didn't make sense. But for me, it made sense.
2: Small companies, are they going to remain small in Singapore? If if it's a small company in Singapore now, and you're saying that Big companies are going to go to Kuala Lumpur, Shanghai, these other cities. Will these small companies remain small, or no? I think
1: it's it is up to these small companies to really venture outwards i think it's extremely important my company included you know yeah. i'm also a very small company now but my company included i think singapore is a great base for uh, building a portfolio of services it's a great place for test bedding your activities it's a great place where you have support from the government they they encourage new ideas uh, and i think it's it's a great idea for S- singapore companies to really use this as a prototype or, you know, almost like a test bed and then take this to the rest of the world, you know. So it makes a lot of sense for them to go outward, which I see is a reluctance today. I mean, there's a lot of reluctance to go outward. And I think uh, if they decide to stay here, they probably remain small. If they decide to go out, I think there's a a world for them.
2: You think there's a reluctance for Singapore companies to go out?
1: Yeah, I think they've been very protected and they tend to remain within that uh, protected zone. So they tend to to kind of be in the zone of comfort, if you will.
2: Yeah, Because my impression um, after my experiences in China is that Singapore companies look more outward because of their position in the world, while because of China's size, companies can afford to be more inward-looking. That may change in the future because of economic changes in the world. But it's one of the things that I personally thought singapore was getting right but you as a uh, almost you as somebody that's lived in singapore for uh, how long have how long have you lived in singapore about 14 years you, yeah you as a person that's lived in singapore for 14 years have a different perspective
1: yeah i think uh, small is very i mean i mean we're putting everything under small and medium i'd probably say that the aspect that you mentioned about companies venturing out would be probably more true for the medium companies but the really small ones, you know, the mom-and-pop ones and probably the three-man, four-man, five-man operations still tend to be very inward-looking and uh, trying to look, look within the Singapore market. It is just that uh, they've grown up with with a lot of protection and I think they want to continue seeking for that protection. Uh, of course, there are the slightly bigger ones and I think uh, the very fact that Singapore has got a lot of uh, talent from overseas you know, to staff some of these companies means that there are links back to other economies like China, India and Malaysia and and Indonesia probably so there are companies venturing out because they've got a larger pool of uh, managers who probably have that as a home country or uh, who started their careers in some other country. so they do go back so I think the medium companies but if you take the really small companies they're probably still homegrown they tend to have mostly locals and that's where I think their ability to reach out and grow Uh, tends to be slightly, uh, I would say, not as much as you would like it to be.
2: What are your aims with your company? Are they to remain within Singapore or to expand abroad?
1: Okay, I'll have to probably first start off by explaining what we do. So, uh, let me give you a little... uh, uh, things, the name behind the story, I told you the story behind the company, but I must now give you a little insight into what do we mean by the name itself. The name of the company is Acquizen, it's spelled as A-C-U-I-Z-E-N. So this is really two words, it's acumen and zen with I in between. So it's about keeping the individual at the center and equipping that individual with the intelligence and intuition to be successful. You know. So this is about... You could call it as a little bit of a contrarian view on artificial intelligence. I mean everybody talks about artificial intelligence today but I think we believe that uh, to be successful it's extremely important that we empower individuals with this knowledge of what's happening around them and giving them the ability to kind of take on artificial intelligence if you will. You know, So it's about making humans more intelligent through technology. So that's the whole idea. So it's about keeping the eye at the center and acumen and intuition on either side using technology. If you see the logo, you'll see a little bit of a technology blurb on that. So that's what it means. So it's about empowering individuals. Now the idea is that this is something which uh, obviously is not limited to a specific market. You know, we built a platform which addresses two major challenges in today's world, which is uh, learning. I know there's a lot of money that's being spent in training people and reskilling and skilling and reskilling. You know, you you, you hear about it all the, all over, whichever market you're talking to. But the reality is that uh, I think there are a couple of key learning challenges today. Two of them being attention and retention. Uh, we have been constantly we're constantly bombarded with so much information, and we have so much access to information that uh, our attention spans have dropped dramatically. As a matter of fact, uh, they say that you know a human att- human attention span today is less than that of a goldfish. You know whatever that means, but uh, we don't really pay too much attention. And there's always this belief that uh, we can always figure it out when we want to. Mm-hmm. So, attention is one issue, and the second thing is retention, which is about our ability to remember what we learn. Because I think while there's a focus on learning we must remember that unless you apply that learning almost immediately you're not going to keep retain it because there's other things to kind of preoccupy your mind so while we spend a lot on training I'm, i would question the effectiveness of the training and the need for us to see how can we make it more effective by providing people that point of need learning which means you probably learn something in classroom, but then you know when I'm actually encountering the situation, do I know what I need to do at that point of time? So that's that's one of the things we built the platform for, and the platform also does one more thing, which is you know in the event that uh, in today's world I think we are so much dependent on really not our own organization, but you know a second or a third or a fourth tier of contractor who's going to be doing work for you somewhere remotely, we are sometimes clueless what's happening. In these remote locations are they really doing things the way we need them to do it so I think there's uh, the risk factor you know has been spread out quite dramatically and end of the day you know as a principals company I think it's it's still our brand with matters so this is about monitoring some of those activities that happen remotely to make sure that you know we're not really exposing ourselves to a great deal of risk so that's that's what the platform does so it's a technology platform that marries should I use the word, uh, point-of-need learning with a point of uh, evidence from the point at which the work is performed. So it's a marriage of learning and compliance, if you will.
2: How many people work for your company now?
1: So we have, uh, we have four co-founders. And in addition to that, we have a bunch of uh, programmers who we use. And uh, some of them are freelancers, some of them are contract. Uh, we don't have a full-time team right now for, for, uh, for development, so we outsource most of our development work.
2: And how do you select a developer?
1: Somebody who understands what I want. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about uh, have a conversation to make sure he understands what's the solution we're driving at. Because our solutions are really focused on not really what's the latest and greatest in technology, but it's about what does it matter to the individual. Like I said, we keep the individual at the center of all our things. So it's about how would a... Individual like to see this, you know, so we make sure that our developer understands that that's the angle at which we want to be looking at things So it's the user's experience that we keep in mind and so long as the developer understands that we pick him and we've been fairly fortunate that uh, We've got a bunch of people who understand our philosophy and they've been supporting us all along and so we haven't had a need to really You know drop people midway
2: are the developers based in Singapore? Or are we they work with
1: a Singapore company, but the developers are actually, some of the developers are based here and some of them are based in India as well.
2: Your co-founders, do you have four co-founders. What are the roles of the co-founder? Are they all active? Or they
1: yes. So my co-founder in uh, Singapore is actually the CTO of the company. So he's the driving force behind the technology. Uh, I have two co-founders in India as well. We, we don't have a physical office in India, but we do have the operations in India. So uh, the two co-founders, one is uh, is relatively young, and he comes from a perspective of, the, I mean, like I said, you know, we want to keep the learner's perspective in mind, so he brings in the, he's really looking after the product development, and uh, he's driving most of the product development activities out of India. And uh, I think he's also, I would say, bring the voice, the 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 young voice into this whole thing because the other three of us are relatively uh, relatively more experienced in business but he comes from a, a, recently gradu- a recent graduate so he's kind of a little more aligned to the learning needs of the newer generation and my fourth co-founder is more on the business development side so he knows the market he's been an entrepreneur all his life and uh, he, he continues to be an entrepreneur and he supports the business development and the administration from um, from a perspective of the Indian market. And like I said, our first markets is Singapore, and then we're looking at India and the Middle East. And I think uh, for India, it's impossible to not have a local presence on the ground and run the business there. And he, he supports that.
2: So why did you choose those markets?
1: I think it's just a question of physical presence here. And like I said earlier on, the Singapore government is very supportive of some of these new initiatives here. And uh, so like I said, we're here at the Institute of Adult Learning where we have a showcase, as you can see right behind us, and uh, the government recognizes new technologies and so they've been very supportive. Uh, India, just because of the sheer size and our, to some extent my familiarity with the market, likewise with the Middle East. And uh, so those are the initial markets for us, but we would be expanding after that as well.
2: Have you looked at China?
1: Not as yet. Yeah. I know it's it's a big one, but uh, we've kept that as uh, phase two.
2: And what about the US and Europe?
1: We are looking at the US and Europe as well. But like I said, you know, we don't want to lose our focus initially. I think we are at a stage where uh, the product still is evolving. And we don't want to go with a half-baked product. I'm not saying the product is half-baked, but I want to make sure there are some very good use cases in these parts of the world before we go into Europe and the US.
2: As a relatively new person to Singapore, it's very culturally diverse. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that? Or is there something to manage? Or is it... Is it something that Singaporeans and people that have lived here for a long time just deal with?
1: I, I guess I've kind of blended into the system so I understand how the Singapore business operates. Uh, it is sometimes uh, a little worrisome because you know it's almost like people look for templated solutions and they aren't always open to new, uh, new ways of solving the same problem. So that sometimes is a challenge. I won't say that's a challenge at all levels, but at, at, the, at a very operational level, people tend to be looking at solutions from a perspective of what does the book say, you know. So sometimes it's difficult. That's, uh, that's a, I guess we just have to live with some of those things. But uh, at a very senior level, when you talk to people, I think people are very open to new ideas and uh, there's a relatively uh, uh, there's a really good reception when it comes to new ideas. So we're not worried so much about that.
2: Before you worked in the corporate world, And the last year and a half, you've been an entrepreneur. So how has that affected your own personal life and your personal view of what you do?
1: I think it's a different, uh, let's, let's put it this way, I've always had an entrepreneurial streak in me. And even within my corporate, I was fortunate enough that my organization gave me a lot of freedom to really, you know, try out new things. So I have been very fortunate in that it's not been a dramatic you know completely new stuff i think i've had uh, that ability to blend very easily the challenge is of course uh, you know you don't have a paycheck at the end of every month you go to work for your paycheck and you that's don't even know whether there's a paycheck so that that's is cer- that I is certainly, to <laughs> that certainly that is certainly a challenge but then this is something i i opted for you know yeah. so i never really got into looking for a job i just said this is a choice you made you know this is uh, Let's put it this way, you know, you got a chance, you could have been an entrepreneur from, you know, just after school or you could be an entrepreneur at at the age of 50, which I am. And uh, I think the ability to bring about some of those experiences in life and use those experiences is probably something which, like, I mean, I keep telling people that, you know, this is probably not a startup which somebody out of college would have just come up with because it's really a distillation of my experiences together with that of my co-founders. And it's something which probably is a pain that's been experienced by industry, and which may not have been as such expressed as a pain. You know, so we've kind of uh, got into doing something which I think we all believe in so much, and uh, to that extent, uh, yeah, it's it's sometimes tough because nobody said I want this product. You know, so to that extent, it's always a little bit uh, tough to get this product out into the market, and you've got to do a lot of conceptual selling, which I've been used to doing. So that's not uh, that's not a challenge, but. Uh, I I, I really think other than the fact that you have a secure uh, paycheck, um, I think if you've you've been entrepreneurial in your job, this is not a big deal.
2: And what does your family think? When you came home, you said, I'm quitting my job.
1: They've been very supportive. I think they've been extremely supportive and uh, they know that this is something that I've been very passionate about. So to that extent, I think uh, it would be impossible to manage if I didn't have the family support and my family has been extremely supportive. They love what I'm doing. And they know that I'm up to something. So I think uh, they've been backing me 100, percent 200 percent.
2: Can you give an example of the support?
1: Well, one is that uh, uh, the demands on me to to kind of spare the weekend for them and all that is not something which uh, is imposed on me. I know when you're typically in a corporate world, you know, everybody says, "Oh, the weekend is for the family." But uh, they recognize that sometimes, as an entrepreneur, you got to you got to do it when you got to do it. And that gives me the flexibility. I mean, for me, there's nothing like a weekend per se, but uh, middle of the week could be a weekend for me, and they've been very flexible to that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's worked out well.
2: Um, Have you had any disasters,
1: things going wrong?
2: Has anything gone drastically wrong that you've just thought? "Hmm."
1: Well, there are always minor things that keep going wrong, and I think uh, that's all part of the learning process, and uh, we've been learning from those and getting there and I think uh, maybe from a fundamental uh, should I say strategic standpoint of view I think uh, maybe we underestimated the effort that it's required to sell to small companies Uh, that's probably a little bit of a key learning for us it's not easy to sell to small and medium enterprises. Why is that? I just think that the cost of sales to a small company is probably just marginally lower than what it would be to a large organization, which would probably give you higher revenues. Going back to an earlier question, you know, I think selling to 10 small companies is probably as difficult as selling to maybe two large companies. So to that extent, uh, unless your margins are really good, it's it's going to be a struggle. So we've got to work with uh, maybe a, a cluster of small companies or something like that. So that's probably one of the key learnings that has come. So, don't. Try and sell to individual small companies. It's not going to work out that easily. So that's a that's a key takeaway. Uh, I would I wouldn't call it a disaster, but I think it's just a learning as we go along.
2: If you had any advice to somebody that was going to say, do what you've done, give up their corporate job, what would you say to them to do before they gave up their corporate job?
1: I'd say you've got to believe in your idea because if you don't believe in your idea, you're not going to really be successful and uh, you have to be the passionate force behind this whole thing. You know, if, uh, if you're just taking somebody's idea and making it and trying to expect that it's going to be successful, it's uh, probably not, it's going to be hard to make that work. But if you really have something which you believe in and if you believe that it's workable and if there is a chance that you can uh, have a plan B in place. When I say plan B, understand that uh, don't get mad at your idea. If there's a need to tweak that, if there's a need to drop that and you know make some changes as you go along, be prepared. It's not going to be one size fits all. You've got to make changes as you go along and you've got to be flexible to doing that.
2: What kind of changes have you made?
1: Well one is to... I think the original belief was that this would be a pure B2B product but then as we go along we realize that at, uh, at some point of time, we need to make this a B2C as well. And so that's something which uh, which is in the drawing board, but uh, it's part of the roadmap. I think a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be looking at uh, and the whole thing, when you, especially when you're in a startup, it's all about funding and it's all about, uh, I would say, raising money and then trying to find an exit. I, I Well, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm only saying that it's also important that uh, you got to have a product that makes money and that at some point of time, if you are able to make this something which is bootstrapped and client funded, and if you're able to make it work, look for the money only when you want to scale. So don't look at raising money from day one. I think it's important that you start building a business that actually makes money and then start looking for money. Are you making money now? We're kind of, we're not profitable, but we are making money. How long did it take you to start making money? Uh, A little more than a year.
2: Yeah, so you've been going a year and a half. So you're losing money for the first... That's right, yes.
1: Absolutely be better, yeah.
2: And then half a year, you've been making money.
1: We've just started making money.
2: Was that your plan?
1: No, no, no. My plan was, I thought I'd be rolling off in three months, but that never happened. So that's the other piece of advice I would give. If you if you think it's going to take you three months, it's probably going to take you three or four times that amount of time. It's never going to happen at a time frame at which you think it will. You, you tend to be highly over-optimistic about your ability to ramp up. It's never going to be that way.
2: So over the next year, yeah. Where do you see the company going?
1: Next year, for sure. I think we've got to make refinements to the product, make it more aligned to some of the initial feedback we've got. We're incorporating all of those feedback into the product. And subsequently, I think we would be looking for expanding our distribution base. So this is about scaling up in the next year, year and a half. That'll be the focal, focal point for us. Finding distributors in different markets and then getting out.
2: And how do you know if your customers are happy with what you're supplying to them?
1: At this point of time, we've been interacting very closely with all those customers. So I think it's more of one-on-one conversations with customers that's telling us what it, what's happening. And do you
2: incorporate new features into Oh, absolutely. Product? All the time. Yeah. They're almost partners in the product development. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
1: I think I would say that the product today is very different from what was originally conceptualized. And uh, it's all thanks to feedback.
2: Okay. So JC, thank you very much. I know this was a very short notice for a a conversation and I hope that our listeners get something from it.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you very much.
0: This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.